Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome back to episode 276 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. And as always, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're tuning in to our show today. Let me start with saying this. What if every single time that you're tuning into our show, I would talk about something that's really relevant to you, something that you wanted to know, something that's actionable, and this can be a resource for you. For doing that, I would need your help. If you can take three minutes of your busy schedule to answer a six-question survey, it will help me tremendously to produce a content that's helpful and relevant to your life. You can take the survey by clicking in the link in the show notes. Today, we're going to talk about one of my personal favorite topics, sexual fantasies. We're going to talk about why having fantasies are important. We're going to talk about understanding your brain development and neuroplasticity and how would that be related to your sexual fantasies. We're going to talk about visualization strategies. So if you want to get in the mood, you will be able to use your fantasies to access your erotic self. Our guest is Dr. Batshiva Marcus. Dr. Marcus is a certified sex therapist and the author of Sex Points, Reclaim Your Sex Life with the Revolutionary Point System. Dr. Marcus is a clinical director of May's Women's Sexual Health, the largest independent sexual health center in the country. You can read her full bio in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Marcus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. It's my honor to welcome Dr. Batsheva Marquez on our show. Dr. Batsheva, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to have you on this show. I, I was honored when you sent me the copy of your book. What a wonderful, informative book. And I know in the book, you talk about many of the important things that just it's so important for people to know about if they want to have a healthy sexual experiences. Right. Well, the thing is that one of the things I found over my years of practice is that people often are afraid that there's one thing that's broken if their sex life isn't working, that like almost like it's binary, like something's not working well, Bacheva. And so can you help me figure out what it is? But you know, and I know all of us in the sex field is that usually your sex life is an amalgam of many, many different pieces. And I like to call them points and trying to get points from different places. But I feel like when people are aware of the many places they could be losing points, but the many places they could be getting points, I think it makes people feel empowered to be able to fix their sex lives. And so that's that's why I wrote the book. And I'm, I'm really glad you liked it because I feel like sex therapists, I feel like that book is so powerful for people, but also if people want to use it with their sex therapists, it's it's super duper helpful that way. And I think it's definitely a great resource for people to kind of either if they're reading it on their own or they want to work with a therapist or sex therapist with it. I, one of the things that was very interesting, and I know it's interesting about your work, is the world of sexual fantasies. I feel that can help people to understand their erotic self better. And that's it. It's my experience with the clients I work with, with uh, many of the women, that's something that they 
they ha- they are not allowing themselves to experience. They don't they don't understand that part of themselves. They're scared of it. So tell us why is having fantasies are important. So I'm so glad you're picking up on that part, Nazaline, because I feel like it's, a, it's something that gets lost a lot in the shuffle, and I feel like it's something that's so easy for people to start using. It's a tool that people can use so powerfully. So here's the deal. Our erotic brains are, they're complicated. They want to run wild and free if we let them. And very often, you know, they're, they're definitely connected to our hormonal levels. So like if you talk to young teenagers, often their fantasy life is great because their hormones, their testosterone, their estrogens are just going wild and they fantasize a lot. As we get older, one of the things that happens is that we tend to shut down that part of our brain. We do it for a whole variety of reasons. We get busy and we can go into that. And I, you know, I will be happy to go into that because I think that helps people give people the key to, 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 to connecting with their fantasies. But what I think people need to realize is that your brain is a huge piece of the sexual puzzle. You know, your clitoris, your vulva, your penis, all those pieces are extraordinarily important and have to be taken care of. But your brain, the nerve endings in your brain that connect to those are in the end, like the engine that makes things happen in the genitals. And so if your brain is not engaged, then nothing really is going to work very well for you. And so the question kind of is, how do you engage your brain? And Nazanin, I feel like people think that's like magic pixie dust. I think they feel like, oh, I'll just wake up one day and I'll have a fantasy and then I'll want to have sex. But it just doesn't work that way. You have to work on having your fantasies. And I can talk a little bit why it breaks down, but the fantasies are maybe one of the most powerful tools you're ever going to use. And people are scared of them. We can talk about that also. And women in particular are scared of them as you made reference to. And so I think understanding our fantasies and delving into them is crucially important. I agree with you. And I think, again, that, as you mentioned, that can improve one's sexual experiences significantly. And I know that especially women, as, as you mentioned, are scared of it. They don't know their, their fantasies at times. And that and exactly what you said that, you know, one day, like even like a few minutes before sex, now you just want to access that. And it's just so hard because you, you haven't cultivated it. And I think that can create some disappointment for people. So here's where people need to understand that's happening in your brain. Your brain has tons and tons of neurotransmitters, more than you will ever use. So it uses some of those neurotransmitters and it doesn't use other ones. And when it's not using ones, they actually don't die, which is good news. They prune down, they quiet. Think of a light switch going off. So a good example I'll give people is like when you're learning a language, let's say you're learning a new language. So it's hard initially. It sort of feels rusty to start using the parts of the brain that learn the language. But eventually it starts getting much easier to learn the language. And not only that, you're going to find that you're going to learn other languages faster as well, right? Like there's a part of your brain that is being accessed. The neurotransmitters are waking up. There's a lot and the neurons are waking up. The neurotransmitters are firing off. All of a sudden there's more of them. They, they wake up, they, they, they replicate. And all of a sudden it becomes much easier to access it. The erotic part of your brain works exactly the same way. So that means that if 
for years you have been ignoring the erotic part of your brain, then it's going to be hard in the beginning. And that I think is really difficult for people to understand that you actually have to work on learning how to fantasize. But what I tell my patients and what I'm telling you is like, trust me, it gets easier and easier and easier and fun. And so, so that is like, I think people have to understand that there's something physiological happening that's making it easier to fantasize. You know, when I, when I started my practice like 20 years ago, I would assign women to like read erotica and well, let's talk about things you can do to help yourself fantasize. And I would say, just read three or four minutes in the morning, just find something that turns you on. You can read the same thing again. This is not a literature review here. You know, I was like, just find something. And every morning or every other morning, just read two or three minutes and see if you can kind of get your brain functioning. And I saw that it really helped women. It got easier and easier for women. And I, I, could, I didn't have the language to explain why that was. I just knew that it got easier. And then as I started understanding neuroplasticity and I started understanding how the brain actually bends, like we used to think of the brain as static, but it's not. And brain cells don't just die off. Parts of your brain that are being used really like plump up. They just like, they engage and you can do that with the erotic part of your brain. So once you understand that, it gives you some level of saying, okay, you're not somebody who doesn't fantasize or somebody who does fantasize. You can be somebody who does fantasize. And I feel like this is your help to do that. I I 100% agree. And what a wonderful way of thinking about that. This is the practice. This is a muscle you're practicing in your brain. And if you're struggling right now, then perhaps you haven't practiced it enough. So if that's something that you want to learn more about, that's something that you have to look for resources and different ways to help you to start on that path. Well, you know that all of us, I can imagine that there are certain things that we find erotically charged for us. And it's different for one person to another. So where are these fantasies coming from? How do we, how do they, those fantasies become so charged for one person versus another person? So that is like, I think the $6 million question, you know, if we had answers to that, we would all be incredibly rich. So if you, if you get that answer, you let me know. (laughs) Um, So I think the erotic map, it's what we call our erotic map. Like what turns us on it's so complex and complicated. And it, it may be things we saw when we were children kind of at the right moment. Like somebody will talk about, there's a beautiful book on this called The Erotic Mind by Jack Marin. It's one of my favorite books of all time. So if people are into reading books about sexology, The Erotic Mind by Jack Marin, he talks about, I think this is from that book, but it, whatever, you know, a baby who may be lying on his stomach and the penis is rubbing on the floor and his mother walks by in high heels right? And all of a sudden, the good feelings that are in his genitals now are connected to that high heels walking by. So that's like a good one that we could kind of see. I also think images you sometimes see when you're an adolescent, as your hormones are starting to like course through your body at these alarming rates, all of a sudden things you see or hear can sort of imprint on you as being sexy. So we don't know exactly why things imprint, but I think the most important thing, and I want everybody listening to remember this is It doesn't matter and you shouldn't judge it, right? That is, if I had to go deep into the whole issue of erotic fantasies, I'd say, stop worrying about it. Like it is imaginary. It's in your brain. It's, it doesn't mean that you necessarily want it to happen. It just means that it's something that turns you on to think about. And one of the things that drives me nuts about the English language I've decided, maybe you and I should work on this together, you know, is we, we have such a paucity of language when it comes to fantasies. Like we have this word, fantasies. And, and, and fantasies means, it could mean 
something I want to try out with a new partner, right? Like I want to have sex on the beach or I want to have sex in the ocean or I want to have a threesome, whatever it is, you know, that's a fantasy that I actually want to actualize. Then there are fantasies that I have no interest at all in actually, you know, being on a spaceship to Mars with three Martians, you know, you know, a circus ring with, you know, 15 acrobats around me. Like there are fantasies, you know, being on a steamboat in the 16th century and being ravished by, they had steamboats, they didn't have steamboats in the 16th century. I'm mixing this up. Okay. I'm well, fantasies. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Exactly. It could be my steamboat in the 16th century. You know, like the knight in shining armor that ravishes you, like, those are not fantasies that you actually want to have have happen. They're just fantasies that you're having in your brain for fun, right? Then there are fantasies that you want to share and talk with your partner about, like, because it's very erotic and fun. And then there are fantasies you don't want to share with anybody. You just want to hold them close to yourself because they are powerful for you. And, and we just, we use one word fantasies for all these things. And I feel like that creates a lot of problems. I really do. And as I mean, I think, I think that makes people worried so that when I'm sitting with a woman and she says to me, you know, I, sometimes I fantasize about other women and I don't think I'm a lesbian. And I'm like, you know, really? Like, just because you're thinking about women doesn't mean you actually want to have sex with a woman. I mean, you may want to have sex with a woman and you may decide you're not going to have sex with a woman because you're monogamous with your partner. But just because you're thinking about something in no way suggests that you want it to actually happen. And I feel like that is where people get really stuck. Like they feel like their fantasies are inappropriate. They feel like they're not PC. They feel like they're scary. And can I give you an example? I'll give you the classic example. Can I just keep talking? Yes, yes. I can, I can listen to you all day, please. (laughs) All right. So the classic example that I always see with women getting stuck is the overpowerment fantasy. I'm sure you see this in your office all the time, right? The woman who has a fantasy about, I see this with women also, they, women will often say I fantasize about other women and they freak out. And so I let that, you know, I need to normalize that. But the, the fantasy where women are feeling like somebody's climbing through the window and like taking them or, you know, they get stopped by a police officer and they trade set, you know, the police officer wants to give them a ticket. So the, 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 the idea that like they're being taken by somebody or taken by control by somebody, let's say the in the forest or in, in the window. And then the women say like, oh my God, how can I be fantasizing about rape? Which is essentially what they're fantasizing about. And, you know, Nazanin, this is so, this is the most classic example. And I feel like I need people to hear me loud and clear on this. Who is creating that fantasy? Let's say it's a woman and she's fantasizing about a man climbing in the window. She is creating the man. She's deciding exactly what he looks like. She's deciding exactly what he says. She's telling him when to stop talking and when not to stop talking, exactly what to do with her. And the moment she wants to end that fantasy, poof, it's gone, right? So that fantasy bears no resemblance to rape in real life or to being overpowered in real life. Like there's no, there's not even like, it's almost, there's no even common thread to be honest. If you're, and yet, I don't know, you can tell me what your experience is, but women, and that is, and honestly, when you get drilled deep down, there's a lot, a lot of women who do have that fantasy, but they feel so much shame and so much guilt around that fantasy. And I, 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 I'm just, that message I'm always saying is, you know, your fantasies are just your fantasies. So just try to revel in them and enjoy them and help use them 
to have really good sex with whoever you really want to be having sex with, right? Like it's a gift. So stop worrying about whether or not it's like somehow feels wrong. So uh, do you find that in your practice as well with women? Oh, for sure. And you know, it's funny that at times, and I'm, I'm sure you have similar experiences, people thinking like knowing you're a sex therapist, they want to talk about their sexual self all over different places. And one of the questions that I even get at conferences at different places from colleagues is kind of feeling that, what, why I like this and why, what does that mean about me? And they start kind of sometimes framing it as like, you know, I have a, a politically incorrect type of fantasies and, you know, that's the direction that they're going. And I love that you are normalizing that. Those are the two main fantasies I hear from lots of cisgender women and, and they feel so much shame around it. And right. I love that you brought up the point of who cares why this is hot. I mean, we can definitely go on the journey of exploration person at a time, but at heart of it at times is that, am I normal? Is this okay? No, I think that is the most important thing. The most important thing to remember with your fantasies is whatever you're fantasizing about is a hundred percent fine. Use it, embrace it, enjoy it. It will change your sex life if you're willing to do that. So I think that becomes really, really important. It is an interesting question why so many of us have that fantasy. And for many years, you know, I've just done some research on this. I can't say I have anything definitive, but for many years it was thought, and I think there's some truth to this, that women liked sort of the overpowerment fantasy because it let them give up control. You know, women were walking around always managing everybody's lives all the time and, you know, having somebody come in and do what they will with us, you know, sort of takes, takes the responsibility off. Like the emotional labor is gone and Lord knows most of us need to give up some of the emotional labor. I saw another piece of research that suggested it. And this one, I think drills very deep on women, women, the biggest turn on for most women is being wanted, being desired, that being desired is the aphrodisiac. So guys, if you want to make your woman like get turned on, you need to make her feel like she is just the hottest thing ever. And there's the overpowerment fantasy is like the ultimate being desired because Essentially, what's happening is you're so desired that the person is doing something that they shouldn't necessarily be doing because they want you so badly. And so that, I think, is at the key for a lot, a lot of women on why that's such a hot fantasy. And when you think about it that way, that's amazing. Like, that is just great. So revel in being wanted. Like, it's, it, you know what I mean? So I think sort of enjoying your fantasies, not worrying about whether it's got, you know, 16 monkeys, 42 clowns and, you know, a Martian in it. Like it's your fantasy. You don't have to share it with anybody. It just lives with it. If it turns you on, use it. I agree with you that I, I often hear about, as you said, that this kind of like this power kind of like in a situation that's a rape or someone kind of like uh, taking you this, there's this power in it that because many women are socialized, that is, it's not okay for you to want sex. In these situations, in your fantasies, you, you have no options. You're giving in the displeasure and that neutralize that shame that that kind of like that heart of killing many women's desire no i think that is 100 percent true i think i think there's a reason that these fantasies are so ubiquitous and so universal and i think trying to let go of the fact that you think they're not right not pc i have non-pc i love that like really fantasies would not really be fun if they were pc like we have to be pc in our whole life can we just not be pc in our brain all the time like really don't you think that's like i just feel like 
that is like the best place to be able to just let yourself run wild. And what happens, I think women don't realize, and men too a little bit, but more women, the more you try to limit what you're thinking about, the less your erotic brain sort of can function. It just, it feels like an animal in a cage at that point. Like, and then it, it only can think about this thing. Or, you know, I've, I had a patient yesterday who said, but I feel like unpure when I think about those things. And I, we were laughing a little bit together because I said, well, okay, well now, you know, your, her husband was upset because she's really not that interested in sex. I'm like, well, he's living with somebody with a very pure brain. Like, is that making him happy? Because like maybe having a little less pure brain might make the sex between the two of you like a little bit better. So yeah, that's, that's the story. And I, I often have women say to me, like, they don't quite know how to get started. And that's a whole other conversation. Well, actually, I, I think that's such an important thing to keep in mind. So where can people get like inspiration? What are some of the places that they can look into for resources for cultivating skill? So I think I always say to women, you got to figure out what media is most effective for you. And I'm going to give you a, a variety of options. And then our goal is to transition it to your brain. So let's start with people always jump immediately to erotica, visual erotica or porn. And that's a great place to start. And some women love watching erotica or porn and some women less so. And, you know, sometimes we'll start with just like sexy scenes in movies. Like Lord knows there's more and more out there now. I have to say when Bridgerton came out, if you watched Bridgerton. Oh God, yes. I heard about it every session that month. (laughs) I, I don't heard about one thing as often as that is since 50 shades of gray came out when 50 shades of gray came out i also was like and i remember thinking to myself really like that book is so poorly written but anyway so bridgerton was so much fun and so there's a lot of good tv out there now sex education bridgerton like there's there's a lot there's a lot that's on like what i would call pg rated r rated stuff that you can read and that if you stop yourself and, and this is really saying when you see those scenes not jumping over them and sort of feeling like, oh, it's inappropriate to be getting turned on now, but actually rewind them and watch them again if you're by yourself or just sort of think, oh, notice how tingly that might make me feel or how that turns me on. What was it about the scene that turned me on? So so TV could be extremely helpful if you want to go a little deeper and you want to look at you know more sort of erotica online, like pornography online, there's always, you know, good old Pornhub, which you can type in anything you want. You know, you can type in, you know, librarian and, you know, and librarian and, you know, professor, <laughs> you can type in, you can type in whatever you want, oral sex on a spaceship. Jeffy, like you will find porn that covers everything you want. The other place you can look if you feel like that may be too kind of intense for you is there's a whole brand of pornography called ethical porn, which is largely a lot of it's directed by women, but not all of it. If you care, and I think we all should, that the actors are treated very equitably and the salaries are good and the healthcare and they get healthcare. But also it tends to have a little bit more of a storyline. It tends to be a little bit more geared towards women. So there is a lot of visual porn or erotica out there. And I highly think that's a good place to start. However, I have found, and it's really interesting that a lot of women respond better to writing, to books, to reading than they do to porn. You're smiling because- the listeners can't see you smiling, but I see you smiling. Has that been your experience as well? Absolutely. And I was thinking about my, even your preferences changes. Like when I was younger, I remember that like kind of erotica movie, like visual kind of, kind of porn felt okay. But the more I started working more as a sex therapist, now it activates the other part of my brain. Do they kind of like think about is, is she compensated well? All of these things that is she feeling okay? I was like, this is not working for me anymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> now I transition to reading and I feel like that can also can be a beautiful way of even practicing the visualization in your mind. So I think even my journey was in a way opposite, but carry on. No, no, no. I think, I think that, that the visual, that the reading is often very helpful to people for exactly the reason you're saying, because you make people look the way you want or sound the way you want. And that's extremely powerful. So women seem to respond. And you know, what's funny about this, you know, for years and years, they couldn't, the, the porn industry has been trying to figure out like how to get women, right? Cause like Pornhub is like, has millions and millions and millions of users, but like, I think 80% are male, maybe even 85%. And so people kept trying to like figure out, make some different visual porn for women. And it worked a little bit, but the numbers never changed. When Literatica came on, so Literatica is a site, again, of stories. It's just stories. It's just erotic stories, literature, erotica, Literatica. And what they started doing analysis, the women, first of all, higher numbers of women, even than men using Pornhub and the number of minutes women stayed on that site was like four times the men on Pornhub site. So women are, women are just as interested in erotica and pornography as men, but they like to read it. And so literatica is a great place to go, or just go online and just Google like short erotic stories. I highly recommend that as a starting point for many, many women because it gives you like, it gives you like a model to start with. Like, what are you reading and what turns you on? And I always say to women, here's the trick. The trick is when you find something that turns you on, put a post-it on it, like, you know, use it again and again. Again, this is not a literature course, right? You don't have to be exposed to many different forms of literature. Read it if it turns you on and then try to figure out what it is about that that turns you on particularly. So if you're reading and like somebody's watching this woman through the keyhole, for example, and that's a huge turn on. Then you think to yourself, oh, the being watched is a big turn on to me. Like where else, like, could I be getting undressed and naked on a beach and have people watching? Or could I be on Broadway and have like 2000 people watching me? Would that turn me on more? Like find the element of the story, which is a big turn on and then expand it in your brain because your brain can do a better job than any other writer is going to do for you. So we talked about visual erotica. We talked about written erotica. And now the new one is more audio erotica and like there's a, a site dipsy yes which is stories written by uh, read by actors they do a pretty i think they do a pretty good job don't you yeah gina was on our show and i thought i, I got introduced to dipsy through her like the, the founder and then i started listening to other platforms it wasn't as good i love yeah, that yeah. they are the voices are good the stories are good so yes yes that's a yeah no no so yeah they have they have i think they have good stories and they let you kind of pick do you want like a threesome do you want heterosexual do you want gay and again remember what i said earlier just because you would like to listen to a different kind of porn does not mean that you want to actually do it just let yourself go it's like reading narnia you know just because you're reading you know you don't really want to go through that wardrobe into narnia do you know so so listening, and the other thing I've also find is a big, often a big turn on for women and a good way to get started is listening to sounds of sex. So you can actually Google like sounds of sex, people moaning or groaning or, you know, sighing or, and you can envision in your head what may be going on. So any of those are good kind of, I would say entryways, like that's what we want. We want an entryway to get your brain to start thinking erotic thoughts figure out what it is about that that's actually turning you on and then building fantasies in your brain that echo those things, but explode them, make them bigger and more powerful and 
more concentrated. So that's how I usually work with people to get them started on fantasizing is by using one of those methodologies. Well, it's brilliant listening to the sound of the kind of sexual encounters. I never thought about it, but I think that can actually quickly gives you the kind of like insight into your internal life. These are all fabulous starting points. And one thing that I tell my clients at times, and I want to hear your thoughts that it's a little bit controversial, but I tell people after kind of they're exploring these things in kind of from the different literature and different material, then take it out for a test run, kind of like allow yourself to kind of be able to be present for life and get inspirations from real life. Because sometimes people are so scared of their erotic mind and a kind of fantasies that they just don't allow it to kind of for them to get inspiration from outside. So give me an example of what you mean. So perhaps like a, a men, like men, cisgender men doing it all the time. So this attractive male passing by, and you find them attractive and then maybe you can use that for fantasies or you're seeing these hot couples on the beach, they're making out and then that's that can be a resource for you later on. You are a 100% right. And the reason people get pushback on this, this is so fascinating. I'm sure you get pushback the same reason I get pushback, Nazanin, and that is because people feel like it's cheating, right? So like a woman will say to me, well, how can I, oh my God, I had this client, this story always stays in my head where she was like, she was crying and she said to me that she thinks she feels so guilty about when she thinks about other men, like old boyfriends. So I'm like, why do you feel like that? And she said, well, then I'm afraid my husband must be thinking about other women. And I'm thinking, well, it is very possible that he's thinking about other women. He's married to you. You have sex two times a week. You've been married for 20 years. You know, that's a lot of sex with the same person. And she said, but it feels like he's kind of cheating. And like, she was struggling with this. And I, I said to her, she had a 20 year old daughter, 22 year old daughter. And the 22-year-old daughter had a steady boyfriend. And I said to her, so, you know, it's possible that this daughter is going to marry this boyfriend. I said, do you think this boyfriend will think about your daughter every time they have sex, only your daughter for the rest of their lives? And she looked at me and she started laughing. She said, I think he'd be a psychopath if that was the case. And I'm like, bingo. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so yes. And I feel like thinking about other people while you're having sex with your partner, or at least letting fleeting thoughts come and go, or, or thinking about something else to get yourself turned on. That's like, great. You're using that other person to have good sex with your partner. You're not using your partner to have sex with the other person, right? Like you have to remember the people that pass through your life, the, the guy on the subway, you don't have subways in LA, but we do in New York, the guy who you catch eye contact with and, and for a moment think, oh, wow, this is so hot. And then you go home to your partner and have great sex. Like what more could anybody ask from that, from that, from a relationship? So a hundred percent, I feel like people need to understand that you are not cheating on your partner. If you're thinking about other people. Yes. I mean, like if you have a client who's only thinking about the work person who is on the next cubicle and he's been, she's been fantasizing about this guy and flirting with this guy and fantasizing about this guy for two years and never thinks about anybody else or her husband. Okay, let's talk. Then we're, we're then we're moving to different territory, but that's not what we're, we're talking about here. We're talking about like those fleeting moments, those sexy interchanges, those you know the things that make you feel alive and butterflies in your stomach, and you want to use those things to have sex with your partner. I mean, let's be honest, monogamy is hard. Like nobody tells you that, but keeping a long-term monogamous sex life is hard. I think it's worth it in a lot of cases, 
but it's freaking hard. And so your choices are you can go out and have an affair or sleep with somebody else, or you could learn to use your erotic brain to have fabulous sex with the person you're here, who you love, who you want to have sex with. Absolutely. You know, like one of the analogies that my husband and I were talking about or laughing about it. I don't want to get credit for this. It's his idea, but it's like going to a buffet, right? Like you test different things from buffet and that's completely okay and normal. And it's, it makes it exciting. But if you're rushing for a sushi table every time, like particular sushi, like, you know, like that, that idea of that coworker, then that that's information. Again, doesn't mean that you are going to go outside your relationship and not under agreement, but you're right. If it's like this fixation, that's a different story. But if this is a adding money to the erotic bank and it could be a kind of accumulation number, number of different things and encounters in person, that's completely normal and healthy. Right. And I do find that sometimes people even like are okay with sharing some of these things with their partner. You know, you may want to explore a little bit with your partner. You know, does it turn your partner on if you tell them, oh, I saw this really hot person. And so I'm like laughing because there's this podcast that I found, which I will not name, but where the, the podcaster is so smart. It's like, it, it's just crazy. It's a science podcast. It's it's not for the faint of heart. And I'm like, I said to my husband, oh my God, I have such a crush on this. The guy who runs a podcast. Like I have to, you know, whatever. And my husband's <laughs> laughing his head off. Like there is like, sometimes in relationships, you know, people even make things up and describe how they were flirting with somebody because it's a turn on to their partner. So you, that is, again, we use the same word fantasy for everything, but using fantasies of people you've seen or thoughts you've had or reactions you've had and talking to your partner and sharing them with your partner can be an incredibly hot way to kind of add to the, to the, to the, to the buffet, as your husband would say of, yeah. I, I agree with you. And I, and I love that you were talking about that and it's okay not to, right. That I feel like my husband and I, we have shared language. We can talk about it. But it's it can be a skill that you're learning what to share, what not to share, what's that private one that you mentioned, and what's for sharing it with a partner. Yeah, don't you think we need more words? I think we need more words. Yes, because yes. you know exactly. I feel like women should know that it is perfectly fine to have fantasies that they do not want to share. They don't want to share them because they think it might upset their partner, but also just because we're entitled to have a little bit of erotic space of our own. You know, mm-hmm. we're all entitled to that. So. We all, everybody should have, I feel like everybody should have a whole packet of fantasies, the packets, the packet they share with their partner, the packet they keep to themselves, the ones they actually might want to actualize someday. And the ones that are kind of so out there that no way. <laughs> great, great. And I, and I love that. And let me know when you develop the language. Okay, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you have this wonderful book that we mentioned and you have a facility that you're center that you are a director of. So I bet our listeners want to learn more about you because me and you have some alignment in the way where we think and practice. So tell us more about what are some of the places that people can get a hold of you. Okay. Well, thank you so much. So the, my book is called Sex Points, Reclaim Your Sex Life with the Revolutionary New Multipoint System. It's a really fun, easy to read book, even though the title is so ridiculously long. It's available anywhere like Amazon, wherever you buy books, Sex Points, just Google Sex Points. You can always find me on social media. I'm big on Instagram and now TikTok. I don't know how that happened, but it did happen under Dr. Bacheva or the Dr. Bacheva on TikTok because TikTok threw off Dr. Bacheva. So I had to start a new one, the doctor, because I think I said vagina too often. Oh no, like I didn't know they were censoring too. I thought that's better on Instagram. Oh no, Instagram's way less censoring Hmm. than TikTok. So there you go. No, TikTok is really, and it's crazy because there's so much like, 
there's so much really radical, like sort of difficult to watch things out there. But mm-hmm. then the sex educators, because we're using real language, are often thrown off. I'm, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can relate to that mm-hmm. in other areas. Anyway, I'm under Dr. Bacheva or the Dr. Bacheva Instagram and, and TikTok. And if you're in the New York, New Jersey, the tri-state area, we have May's Women's Sexual Health, which is a combination of the, the medical and the psychological. We work together. We deal with pain, low desire, problems with libido. And, you know, we'd love to see you there if you're around. So you can Google us at mayswomenshealth.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for all the wonderful work that you're doing. And this was certainly a treat for us. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful, wonderful podcast. And it was a joy to be with you today. Thank you. Now, today you heard a lot of different strategy on how to improve your sexual health. We talk about sexual fantasies. I want you to focus on prioritizing, doing one of these things that we talked about. I want you to write down what you learn and maybe explore your sexual fantasies and changing them or augmenting them for next few weeks. On a different note, I'm collecting information on some of the steamiest, hottest mainstream movies that people have watched. I'm planning to do an entire episode on them. So if you have a moment, you can email me and let me know what movie you found the hottest kind of erotic scene in, and I will reciprocate. I will email you back and tell you what is mine. Also, we're going to have an episode on that. You can email me your response at drmoali at oasis2care.com. Again, thank you so much for listening to our show. I cannot wait until next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.